The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Know His hope And sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world Falls around me I rest And know That He has found me Christ the rock Is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. Well, in this episode, we conclude an internet story entitled, quote, Is Christianity Stuck? As you will recall in the article, the author provides an alleged 21 outdated church practices that need reform, unquote. In this final episode, we conclude the list, starting with issue number 14, the 14th quote-unquote outdated issue in need of quote-unquote reform, according to the author, is the problem of quote over-reliance on tradition, unquote. Let's once again consult the author who says the following, quote, While traditions form the backbone of many practices, an inflexible adherence can prevent progression. The church is called to be a dynamic body, adapting to the needs of its people while remaining true to its message. Unquote. 
Okay, so what is the biblical truth regarding quote-unquote tradition? Well, here's what the Bible says. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, we find the following, quote, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle, unquote. So here the context is that when tradition is based upon the word of God, i.e. word or epistle, then God's word in proper context provides doctrine and teaching which should rightly be the tradition of the church and its members. Stated in the negative, Jesus himself warns in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, quote, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye, unquote. In other words, our fleshly, worldly, extra-biblical traditions have the potential to undermine and make God's word ineffective. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul warns us, saying, quote, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ, unquote. In the end, God's word in context defines and establishes what is godly tradition versus what is worldly and or fleshly tradition. The quote-unquote needs of the people are only valid when God's word identifies those quote-unquote needs as glorifying God and which serve to justify, sanctify, and edify God's people into the image and character of Jesus Christ. Any need or want which tends to subtract or distract from this goal will lead to sin. Consequently, the needs and wants of the people must always be viewed through the lens of God's word, and the church must, in order to remain obedient and faithful, adapt and submit to God and his word, and not to man. The 15th quote-unquote outdated issue in need of quote-unquote reform, according to the author, is the problem of quote, inaccessible church leadership, unquote. Let's consult the author who says the following, quote, A disconnect between church leaders and the congregation can create a sense of alienation. Leaders in the early church were integral parts of their communities, and modern leaders could benefit from re-engaging on a personal level. Unquote. Here, as so often before, the author appeals to leaders in the early church who were quote-unquote integral parts of their communities, unquote, and who are quote, engaging on a personal level, unquote. Whereas, according to the author, modern leaders fail to do so. Okay, well, 
First of all, the early church leaders like Paul were a church planter. Paul initiated small churches, which later grew. Paul engaged on a personal level with people, but historically, he moved on to another area anywhere from a couple of weeks to one or two years later. Sometimes Paul would revisit personally, and other times Paul would write a letter. So here the author is apparently misremembering what actually went on in the first century church. In the modern church, the issue is the size of the congregation. In a small church, say of 100 to 300 people, it's possible for engagement on a personal level, both between the leaders and the congregation. However, the logistics of a large church with, say, 5,000 to 15,000 members with several services makes it virtually impossible to engage on a personal level with every and or even the majority of the members. In these instances, it's critical that large churches seek to encourage small groups where individual members can engage on a personal level to develop more intimate fellowship and accountability. If there are those churches where it is the ability and the logistics for leadership to engage personally with the congregation, and they blatantly fail to do so on a regular basis, then I would suggest that you are attending the wrong church if they refuse to remedy it. The 16th quote-unquote outdated issue in need of quote-unquote reform, according to the author, is the problem of quote, misaligned organizational priorities, unquote. Let's consult the author who says the following, quote, When the institution of the church becomes more of a focus than the spiritual well-being of its congregation, it may be time to realign priorities. The mission of the church should foremost be about nurturing faith and community. Unquote. Here, I would agree almost 95% with what the author has presented. The only addition that I would make, which is critical, is that the, quote, spiritual well-being, unquote, and the, quote, faith and community, unquote, which is being, quote, unquote, nurtured by the church, should always be biblically based and Christ-glorifying. Any spirituality, faith, or community which fails to keep Christ and the sufficiency of Scripture central has already catastrophically misaligned its organizational priorities. The 17th quote-unquote outdated issue in need of quote-unquote reform, according to the author, is the problem of quote overstructured youth programs. Let's consult the author who says the following, quote, Youth programs in churches often do not allow the flexibility for young people to explore faith on their own terms. Creating a space where questions and doubts are welcomed could lead to a stronger, more authentic faith foundation. Unquote. Well, this is where structuring, according to a biblical world and life view, is important. 
The Bible informs us that because we each and all are fallen into sin, that we all begin with the problem of a desperately wicked heart, according to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Because we live in a fallen world, we have all kinds of questions, doubts, assumptions, biases, opinions, feelings, ideas, thoughts, and beliefs, which many times are grounded in biblical ignorance and or even rebellion. Allowing people to quote-unquote explore faith on their own terms, unquote, is like asking or allowing people to safely navigate the ocean with no GPS, compass, or maps. It is only the secular humanist who thinks that it does not matter where you wind up or what you believe as long as you are happy and sincere. God's word makes it clear that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof is death. To prevent such, structure and guidance are crucial, and the only authority which reveals truth and reality, which leads to eternal life, is God's word, the Bible. Thus, it is only via a proper biblical world and life view that questions and doubts can be answered and a stronger biblical faith can take root and flourish. If the programs are structured around man-centered philosophies and approaches, then man-centered results are likely all you can expect. It has also been my experience that if the programs, regardless of how structured or flexible they are, are centered around entertainment, emotions, excitement, and adrenaline, then you will forever be reinventing, updating, elevating, and attempting to outdo the previous event in order to keep the attention and appetites of people who are seeking an experience, an adventure, or amusement, rather than a deeper understanding of and a relationship with Christ. The 18th quote-unquote outdated issue in need of quote-unquote reform, according to the author, is the problem of quote, outdated music and hymns, unquote. Let's once again consult the author who says the following, quote, Music that fails to resonate with a modern congregation can make worship services feel out of touch. Integrating contemporary music styles could breathe new life into worship and speak to a broader demographic. Unquote. Once again, the author seems to labor under the delusion that the goal of the church is simply a shallow increase of numbers within the church. But the actual goal, according to the Bible, is quality, not quantity. Neither God nor his church are focused on a quote-unquote broader demographic, unquote, just for the sake of a quote, broader demographic, unquote. 
Instead, both God and the church are primarily concerned with genuine conversion, justification, sanctification, and glorification. All aspects of the church, including the music, should reflect this. Church is not a place where we seek to compete with the concerts in the world for attendance. Music in the church, whatever its style and whatever the instrument, should have as its goal to focus the praise, the worship, and the honor of God. If music is simply a method to arouse the emotions and to titillate the crowd, then it is very possible that you have ceased to be a church and have become an entertainment venue. If the lyrics to the music are nothing more than secular music with the word Jesus and or God inserted randomly, then it is likely that the main purpose of a biblical church has been abandoned. Instead, the lyrics to the music should reflect proper biblical theology rather than secular sentiments. In the end, when the author talks about her concerns about the music being quote-unquote out of touch or quote-unquote resonating, a true biblical church is going to be concerned that the music and the lyrics are quote out of touch unquote or not quote resonating unquote with God and or the Bible rather than whether or not it is quote, out of touch, unquote, or, quote, resonating, unquote, with an unregenerate mankind. The 19th, quote, unquote, outdated issue in need of, quote, unquote, reform, according to the author, is the problem of, quote, a lack of environmental awareness, unquote. Let's consult the author who says the following, quote, With a growing emphasis on environmental concerns, churches have a duty to lead in stewardship, reflecting the call to care for creation found in Scripture and embracing green practices as part of their ministry. Unquote. Well, first of all, there is a difference between humanistic stewardship and scriptural stewardship, where in Genesis chapter 1, God created the earth and mankind. God commanded man to, quote, subdue the earth, unquote, and gave man dominion over all the animals. In Revelation, we learn that God is in fact going to do a lot of environmental destruction when he pours out his wrath upon an unregenerate world and that he will create a new heaven and a new earth. So, there is a healthy, Bible-believing, Christ-centered methodology by which we demonstrate stewardship of the earth. But this is very different from the secular humanist and the atheist religion where the earth, the animals, and the environment come first and mankind is a distant second 
whose job it is to worship and serve the earth and the creature more than and instead of the creator. There is also that hybrid of Christianity who believe that it is man who is going to eventuate paradise and heaven on earth via humanistic efforts, legislation, and government programs. To be absolutely clear, the problem with many is that they replace a healthy biblical concern and stewardship of the environment where God is sovereignly in control of all things with radical humanistic environmentalism where there is no God and man must turn to totalitarian, universal, one-world government over everyone and all things in order to save us. All too often, buzzwords like green practices, climate change, and environmental sustainability are a scare tactic intended to create a perceived crisis and fear which will motivate people to be willing to voluntarily abandon freedom and the current systems which foster and protect freedom for systems which are supposedly supposed to solve the crisis but will require total allegiance to those who desire power and control. But the truth is that God's word reveals the past, the present, and the future regarding man and the environment. The church's job is to truthfully proclaim God's word and to lovingly subject all things, including the environment, into their proper perspective under the sovereign will and control of God for his eternal glory. So, Whenever you hear people suggesting that the church's responsibility is to save the environment or to champion climate justice or the like, understand that the spirit of Antichrist is afoot and that often the true agenda is to pave the way for one false world religion with one false Christ, the Antichrist, and one world government controlled by the Antichrist and his false prophet. This is what the Bible predicts, and this is what the church should be warning against and opposing. The 20th quote-unquote outdated issue in need of quote-unquote reform, according to the author, is the problem of quote insufficient support for the marginalized unquote. Let's consult the author who says the following, quote, Churches that fail to provide robust support for the marginalized may not fully embody the teachings of Jesus, who focused on serving those in need. Expanding outreach and support services could reinforce the church's role as a sanctuary for all. Unquote. Here again, I must remind the author that the quote-unquote need that Jesus was most focused on was not financial. It was not economic. 
It was not social marginalization. Instead, the primary mission of Jesus was to be a propitiatory sacrifice to reconcile his people to restored fellowship with God the Father. Jesus fully accomplishes this goal across the board regardless of our status as it applies to marginalization. When the Bible discusses issues which can be labeled as marginalization, i.e. the poor, the hungry, the sick, the imprisoned, the needy, the widows, the orphans, etc., these issues are always restricted to either evangelization or to those within the body of Christ who fit into the above categories. The Bible never suggests that the church should be engaged in using its resources to assist those who are in open and overt rebellion to God and his people. The church should not be helping Satan, sin, or rebellion. Ultimately, the church is called to exercise biblical judgment and discernment regarding who they help and how they accomplish their goals. Finally, the 21st quote-unquote outdated issue in need of quote-unquote reform, according to the author, is the problem of quote inadequate use of technology unquote. Let's consult the author one last time who says the following, quote, A reluctance to embrace modern technology can limit the church's reach and relevance. By adopting new communication tools, churches can engage with the community in more meaningful and contemporary ways. Unquote. I'm sorry. Did the author slip into a coma after the 18th century? Are you not aware of the advent of the radio, the television, the internet? Uh, have you forgotten that churches broadcast services and teachings via these mediums, as well as cassette tapes, CDs, podcasts, books, magazines, pamphlets, periodicals, papers, articles, and more? Do you not know that you can go physically to church, listen, and or watch at home, at work, in your car, on a smartphone, or on a tablet? Uh, perhaps you are upset because many churches insist on pesky brick-and-mortar buildings where people can actually have physical contact. Uh, perhaps you are upset that some churches cannot afford all of the technology that you suggest or demand. Perhaps if you are so concerned about a specific church not having technology or being able to afford it, then maybe you should consider donating money and or resources so that they can afford and add the technology. At the same time, can we be honest and recall that it was the most basic technology in the world of the spoken word, face-to-face, -face, 
along with the written word that was responsible for the creation of Christianity in the face of intense persecution and opposition. Technology does have its place and can be used appropriately for the missions of the church. However, we should also be mindful of the potential for misuse and over-reliance. At the end of the day, it is not technology, methodology, programs, personal charm, or theatrics which save and sanctify God's people. Rather, it is God's sovereign will, His Holy Spirit, His grace, His mercy, and His power which He uses as He sees fit to choose, to elect, to call, to transform, to glorify His people to Himself. And yes, God can do this anywhere and by any means, and he is not limited or dependent on technology to do it. In conclusion, as we survey the viewpoints of the author above, it is clear that the author has fallen prey to the idea that it is the community, society, the culture, or consensus which should define the church. Predictably, as with all aspects of secular humanism, mankind begins with each person and attempts to make the opinions of each person the final authority for all things. Any deviation to attempt to default to the authority of God and or the Bible is labeled negatively as dogma, inflexibility, outdatedness, exclusionary, isolationist, intolerant, narrow-minded, judgmental, hateful, or in this case, quote-unquote, stuck. My guess is that the author probably conducted a survey through whatever means and selected 21 pet peeves which were randomly selected to represent the alleged problems that supposedly exist everywhere and are in dire need of fixing in order for the world to put its stamp of approval upon the church. But here again, it is necessary to remind this author that according to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, quote, Wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it, unquote. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, quote, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Unquote. Finally, Jesus predicts in John chapter 15, verse 19, quote, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you 
out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Here, in closing, those whom God has, quote, chosen out of the world, unquote, are synonymous with God's, quote, unquote, outcalled ones, the ecclesia, or the church. By definition, God's act of calling out his elect, the church, creates an axiomatic polarization, opposition, enmity, and antagonism, which Jesus himself labels as hate. Mind you, according to the Bible, it is not those whom are sincerely Christ's church who are doing the hating. No, it is the world of the unregenerate whom God declares are acting with hatred towards God's church and his elect. So, the fact that the author sees a disconnect and or elements of discord between the church and the landscape of the unregenerate world is not proof that the church has lost its way or is quote-unquote stuck or has failed to remain relevant. Rather, in keeping with Jesus' prediction, the perceived presence of the above issues and any other complaints from the unregenerate heart of man only serve to fully demonstrate the accuracy and reliability of what God's Word and or Jesus claims in His Word, the Bible. This concludes this episode. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Trust